Tenants at one of Portland's largest apartment complex say they have had enough. They say the owner of Wimbledon Square has neglected the property. Among their complaints, going days without water and being locked out of their homes to allow for construction. Fox 12's John Hendricks is live in southeast Portland with a look at the allegations. John. Well, Pete, the folks who live here say that they have formed a tenants union and they're calling for change. Now, they want rent abatement. They say they have paid fair market rent rates, but they're not getting what they paid for. They gathered in the courtyard of their apartment complex with a message. A bunch of us decided, hey, let's form a union. We'll get together. We'll make our voices heard. Those who live at Wimbledon Square in southeast Portland are mad. Very frustrating. Um, I would come home from working in the kitchen after eight or nine hours to not be able to take a shower. They say they've tried to get things fixed, changed, but nothing has happened. Tenants claim some days their water is shut off with and without notice. Others have limited access to their homes as construction and repairs are being made daily. All from neglected maintenance, they say over the years. We want to see basic livability conditions. Uh, for example, my rent is $1,500 a month for a two-bedroom. I've had my water shut off 45 times in the last nine months. In May, a jury awarded $20 million to Robbie Treblehorn. He says he fell through a walkway and was hurt at this complex. Treblehorn's attorney says the owner of Wimbledon Square, Prime Group LLC, was negligent in their repairs. What we learned is some of the worst conditions in our entire city are in these 600 units. Those here say they just want what's fair as they feel they're not getting what they're paying for now. I just want to see um, my livability uh, covered, have reliable you know, water. I want to see my neighbors not being locked out of their house during construction for weeks at a time and just want some money back from you know the time we've lost. Now, we did reach out to property managers for comment on this story today, and we have not heard back yet. Reporting live tonight, John Hendricks, Fox of Oregon. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. And you are listening to, in Media Res, welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Jeremy, joined with uh, another uh, gaggle of uh, new friends here on a frigid Saturday morning here in lovely, um, not-so-sunny Portland, Oregon. Never sunny. It's never sunny in Portland. Here we go, a new spinoff show. Oh, feel free to laugh on mic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This uh, uh, today we have uh, we have some new we have at least one returning co-host and some new friends. Um, let's let's do a thing around the table of just like an introduction of. I've been on the show before, so I'll just say, hey, hey, everyone, it's your old friend Garrett. I'm back. It's been a little bit. And uh, I'm I'm Margo Black from Portland Tenants United. I'm Kim Carpentier from Wimby Tenants United. I am Tabby Kiefer, also with the Wimby Tenants Union. Excellent. And thank you for joining us. And today, um, because we have, uh, you know, as you might have been clued up by uh, our guests from Tenants Union, we're going to be talking about the fun thing that is housing, whoop, whoop. specifically Portland housing and the West. Well, it's not really a West Coast housing crisis. It's more like a housing crisis like 
pretty much like an national. I don't, it's a national. Well, not even national. It's a humanitarian it's, crisis. Yeah, it's not even. I mean, because this is in Vancouver and it's in Dublin. Too. This is almost like an international. It's pretty much a uh, almost an international housing crisis by this point. Yeah, it's it's sort of like attractive. You know, people want to live in cities, mm-hmm. and it's a sort of city attractive city crisis. You know, especially it seems like uh, it's a capitalism crisis. Well, well certainly I mean, that. Yeah, but I mean. Yeah, but you're yes, it's happening in cities all over. I was the world, yes. I was trying to describe the smaller umbrella yeah. underneath the huge umbrella called yeah. the problem is capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um it's although this one thing is like how long before if this is already hitting like certain attractor cities, how long is this gonna take it to like certain other cities that aren't so attra- uh, attractive people? Long before this hits Detroit. Because Detroit is kind of a thing where they're uh where the specifics there and you know, I lived in Michigan for twenty eight years, so Things in Detroit are kind of weird now. I, think, I mean, international capital moves in real fast as soon as an opportunity has been observed and, and you know, development has, like, I mean, Detroit has been laid to waste by, you know, the last 50 years and especially the last 20 years. Hmm. And now everybody talks about how they're, you know, you can go buy a, a house there for $20, you know, boarded house, uh, boarded up house. And actually, there are, like, artist collectives who are, moving in they're taking over whole neighborhoods which is great on the one hand but it does it you know gentrification studies on gentrification show that's kind of the the first wave right so Mm -hmm. um it seems to me uh not that um not that hard to uh envision that detroit will be where portland is you know Sooner rather than I than later, I think you know. I mean, I, there's no reason to believe that just because it took Portland X years to get to where it is, it'll take the same amount of time for Detroit. I mean, I think everything is speeding up exponentially with respect to capital and development, and population growth. Yeah, the uh, so uh, everybody back in the Mitten State, the, they come in for you too. Mm-hmm. But uh, so to start with the specifics, uh, that is, let's go real specific, even more so than just Portland housing. Kim and Tabby, let's talk about. Can we talk about the situation at Wimbledon? Set the stage for the viewing audience, if you will. So Wimbledon Square and Gardens is an apartment in southeast Portland, off the off Holgate on 28th. Near Reed College. Yeah, absolutely. Near Reed College. Um, There are 599 units in Wimbledon. So, you know, a couple thousand people we're looking at. And uh, gosh, I don't think the building is terribly old, which is... um, I'm going to look that up right now. Okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of problems. It's hard to kind of sum it up um, to one problem. How we started our union is that there was an accidental data leak during one of the many, many water shutoff notifications that residents get to their emails. Um, and so during that time when we were forming the union, the two largest issues were um, lack of consistent water access for at least a couple hundred residents. And during that time, there was also in, is still continuing construction where people's um, walkways outside their homes were being ripped up, so people had extremely limited access to their homes for a couple weeks, um, potentially a month at a time um, as well. So how often, um, could you give us a sense of the water? Like like people, you're having your water shot off all the time. Just like randomly during the day or just for, or both for like what, like, like stretches of like a, like a week at a time or something or? Both. 
Oh boy. Um, they we have record of an email notification stating back to March of 2018 of, you know, single day occurrences of, you know, between the hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. you will not have water access. Um and that kind of gradually turned into weeks at a time where we'd be notified that again between the hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. you won't have water, but that was a daily occurrence and Additionally, sometimes those hours and those parameters that they were telling us our water would be off weren't being followed. So you'd get up at 7 a.m. to take a shower before work and you would not have water already. Or you would get home at 6 p.m. and there wouldn't be water. There were a couple occasions where water was not restored um, overnight. And so it was over 24 hours at a time of water shutoff. And I would... I would also like to add that sometimes um, in their emails, they sent them out after the water shut off occurred, but had stamped the letter so that it looked like. Oh, that was nice of them. Yeah. Yeah. So it looked like the notice was at least sent out, you know, a bit before. They still weren't following the minimum 24, but I mean, like the lengths at which the notices were approached were apparent. So we're dealing with some real Machiavellian... uh, power brokers here absolutely what about uh and and i want to just i want to weigh in really quickly and say i mean it's not like the management is turning off the water on purpose to you know to be cruel to their tenants um there are clearly you know water pipe issues there and repairs that need to be made we've we've talked to some tenants who've had you know water leaking into their living rooms and ceilings falling into their bathtubs because of water leaks but um, you know, what is the responsibility of uh, the owners and managers of a 600 unit complex when, you know, two, 300 of their tenants or, or more? I mean, we know that this particular email data thing affected like 250 tenants when they have to go without water for long periods of time. Um, even the the city code require and the state code requires uh, landlords to provide a habitable unit, and that habitability um, means running water, consistent running water. And we've all had to deal with. I mean, at least I, I certainly have. You know, periods of very brief water shutoffs. But once it goes, you know, in, into really affecting one's ability to you know live in their home, is where say a rent abatement becomes, um, you know, a, a reasonable thing to offer. So that the management could have and should have said. Uh, hey, you know, gosh, since we've shut off your water more than we haven't this month, you know, <laughs> uh, everybody will get, you know, a, a major rent reduction or, you know, something that acknowledges that uh, they're not getting what they paid for. And it may be nobody's fault, but the nine billion dollar owner certainly, you know, has uh, can can afford to, you know, give them a little bit of compensation for going without. And instead, they're paying their water bills and they're going up. Yeah, we have been billed. um throughout this entire water ordeal, um, whether we receive water or not, our oh. water bills are still one portion of a one bill for Wimbledon. So it's based on occupancy. So anyone who's had a water outage has not received a credit or any type of break in the water bill. So we've in essence been paying a water bill and not getting water. And so we're paying for services that we're not receiving, which are pretty basic human services. Right. And there's no recompense, is what it sounds like. They're not offering you anything. Nope. Yeah, nothing. Not even a twenty-five dollar Best Buy gift card. Or yeah, something. and yeah. and when the, and when they sent out the notices about the walkways, same thing. I mean, they're literally they said everybody you know in this affected area needs to 
you know, remove their art from the walls and pull their furniture from the walls because there may be, you know, it'll be affected by the jackhammer. Oh, and then certain people won't be able to enter or exit their homes from, you know, through Monday to Friday, eight to five for an indefinite. I mean, they said one week, but if, uh, at, like everything there, it goes it's, different. Yeah. And and again, they didn't, you know, that that's a real you know, for folks with disabilities, for folks who work, at, you know, work from home, who work graveyard shifts and sleep at home. I mean, there are with kids yet too. with kids. I mean, you know, that's a huge that is a, a huge disruption. And that letter should have at least come with if you need alternative housing, if you need a comment, uh, you know, if you need help with this, let us know. And they didn't. They were like, thanks for sticking with us while we beautify our community. And yeah, they could have at least offered, yeah, all, offered alternatives for like if you need base, if you need like crash space on our floor, we can like offer that for you know. What um, I don't, and, I, and forgive me if I missed it, but could y'all explain the 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 um, the nature of the email breach or whatever? That I don't feel like I yeah. What was like the, what was the data leak? Was it just like somebody had like an open laptop or something? Or so they sent out email notifications in mass, and instead of blind carbon copying. Everybody, they just, this individual who no longer is with Wimbledon Square and Gardens, put everybody's email for everybody else to see. So it wasn't CC'd, it wasn't BCC'd, it was just laid in the contacts line. So mm-hmm. you could literally reply all, and your message would go out to, you know, all 250 people. And um, that's how we started the union, because one person kind of replied who jump started it, and then a few of us started replying and opened our doors, and then, uh, you know, so we went from there. So they replied in, in a sense going like, hey, this is fucked up. Yeah. Like, like, okay. Yeah. A lot of angry responses came through, and is, are you as mad as I am? And that's have you so been without cool. water as often as I have been without water? And can you believe that our emails have now been exchanged without permission? And it just kind of grew to the point, and to Tabby's point, she and some other folks opened their doors and started hosting just coffee and vent sessions and we ended up linking up with Portland Tenants United and the rest is, is being very, written. That's very <laughs> inspiring. Like that is such a cool story to hear. It yep. really was, you know, it for as mad as people were about their emails being shared, which is totally valid. Yep. It was uh, a very beautiful organizing gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is when um let's 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 do a little bit of the timeline here. So the initial so like when um the initial water fuckery was like what, March? It started I mean, I've lived there for longer than some other members, so I have records dating back to January of, of last year, of eight to twenty eighteen, I guess still this year. Um but as a as a union and all parties that have been involved in planning, it really dates back to March. That's when it started picking up in frequency and lengths of outages started becoming longer. Um, that's really the beginning of when the water became the issue that it, it is now. But the email breach was August? The email breach was at the end of August. End of August, yeah. Okay. Okay. This is, and obviously, um, Kim and Tabby, like, have, have either, had, had either of you been particularly... What, uh, what, for lack of a better word, political before, or you know, like you know, like full on like agitational or really aggro about this kind of thing, or no, not at all, and I never would have assumed that I'd end up here, but it it really became that when they were yelling at me for asking about paying other people's water bills, and the response that I got was kind of what led me personally um, here. Um, I would like to say that I always 
have been, I wouldn't say political, but active. I've always tried to throw myself into community stuff. So I didn't think I would end up here this way. Um, it, I did really get thrown into unionizing. I didn't even know what a union was four months ago, let alone thinking I would be forming a grassroots union at my complex with my peers and the help of PTU. Yeah, that's incredible. That's really cool. folks, this is Jeremy just popping in here. If you like what you're hearing, why not help us uh, make the show? You can support us for as little as a dollar a month donated through our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash giving the mic. Every little bit helps. Thanks. All right, so we have the, so I guess the, the initial search, circumstances, shit's bad, they leak it, they give you a real lovely, um, <laughs> Serendipitous? What would the term for? What's the term for like accident? What's is there a term for yeah, like serendipitous? Ac- sounds fine. Yeah, serendipitous right. benefit of like, oh yeah, here, here. By the way, here is a. Uh, <laughs> you don't even have to go door. Sorry, you don't have to go door to door. Even like has you know with oh, the stamp we have with well, well, but in, in the initial, but in the initial, stick a pin in that. Yeah, stick a pin in that. But in the initial, at least in the initial. Um, what mapping yeah. surveying of just going of like y- y- there you go you now know exactly who is directly getting fucked with over the, the this particular thing so well the the funny thing was some of those emails were from tenants who had already moved out of the complex i know that because i i got this is margo by the way i got tagged in like 40 facebook posts about it the day the email went out and not really 40 but several of them um, and Four score. and some of them were, uh, you know, I, I moved out of this place six months ago. Why are they emailing me? This isn't the first time they've shared emails with everybody, you know, those kinds of things. And so, um, I mean, and that kind of just speaks to the disorganization of, of Wimbledon. Um, but yes, people knew that they, we, we did know that everybody was impacted by it, but it was kind of funny because... Uh, it, it wasn't as complete of a sample as we might have thought, seeing as how they emailed, you know, old old tenants about this. And so who's not getting the notice who needs to get it is is another question. Yeah. And we've heard a lot about that. A lot of people who are like, my water, I just came home, my water was off. I never heard anything. Well, maybe it's because they're emailing the person who used to live here. Yeah. Oh, shit. <coughs> I think my question floated away. Sorry. I, no, it's, I, it's on, okay. a stum, on a d- dumb point. Sorry. I'll, I'll no, no. It wasn't a dumb point. It was... <laughs> Oh, it was just a, it was more of a thought about how I just think it's very interesting that like this email fuck up that they made was like the occasion to get yeah. people to talk about it. Because mm-hmm. you could, of course, have gone and talked to your neighbors and you know what I mean without that. But the way Wimbledon is set up too, in and I've learned this through canvassing efforts and canvassing campaigns is that it's not set up where it's easy to walk to your neighbor's house. I mean, the person directly next to you on either side, yes, but it's a maze of staircases and Mm -hmm. the buildings aren't lined up, you know, in a intuitive way. And so even trying to find, you know, a fellow union member's apartment when we are organizing, when we're doing anything, it, I sometimes get lost and I've lived there a year. I mean, it's not set up for you to be friendly with your neighbors. It's not built for building community. It's mm-hmm. very much standalone apartment units, and it feels as though they're trying to keep you away and not 
Yeah, seg- segmented, and, and, and atomized. I would say that that's actually a you know a really typical component of modern architecture when it comes to um, apartments. Is that they, if you if you go look at some of the older um, apartment complexes, at least in this town, um, and certainly the rest of America, a lot of them are like courtyard style or. Um, yeah, I mean that you know courtyard style where everybody's everyone's doors kind of face each other, and there's this really obvious, natural kind of gathering community area. This green spe- greenery, uh, yeah. like the center green. Yeah, and and Wimbledon has you know a little kind of courtyard area in front of the leasing office where the pool and the hot tub is, and there's a barbecue. But it's not nobody, you know. Um, I I wouldn't say that anybody's like doors face that way. You're not necessarily encouraged to come there and gather as a community. And I think that um, one you know one very deliberate uh component i mean that's a very deliberate component of apartment life um in the states as we've tried to convince people that the you know the only way to be a fully fledged adult is to you know buy your own home with your own yard and your own garage and your own you know white picket fence and then of course when you do that then the neighbors come over and and welcome you with uh you know pie and cookies and all the homeowners are are happy and this isn't this isn't an anti-homeowner rant it's uh but in apartment communities we've we've alienated people and we've um we've created them to uh feel like it's just a place for you to land for a little while and then leave you know there's no intentional um creation of community the whole all the the narrative in the like business world around multifamily complexes is is very much um, uh, uh, individualized to tenants and not at all and they and they they consider that everybody is just there for you know uh, a short period of time until their next step in life and uh, you don't we don't treat these like homes that people might live in for years and years and years and therefore you know need to know and care about their neighbors and develop a community that's sort of considered a, a you know almost like a, a farcical endeavor here whereas in cities in the states that have all have um have a higher percentage of apartment living and have for a long time like new york and san francisco the the people stay there for years and years and years and years and years and they all know each other and families and stay there and you turn over your rent controlled apartment to your grandkids or whatever and same with the rest of the world um i mean it's only america that uh insists that to be a you know uh to get your adulting card you have to live alone in isolation and go into massive debt and going to massive mm-hmm. debt, right? Yeah. You need to become your own. Uh, uh, yeah, I, yeah. It's like, yeah. There's nothing I can add yes. to that. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, so all right. So the so the situation is bad. You, you begin to form this. Uh, you begin forming kind of. Once you got this kind of up and going, like, what have you been able to? Uh, you start. I guess you take us through like what you've been able to do once you started talking. Like, I guess just talking to each other and um, like the next stage. I guess. Or like, so um, the fast version of that is that um, we started meeting for coffee, and um, I think it was probably after a week or so, someone set a meeting time. We're like, okay, we're gonna meet here at this time outside at seven o'clock, and I think it was that first meeting that PTU was invited by one of our residents as well. Um, so all it really took was a week of a scrambling to make a meeting and then from there we were scrambling with the help of PTU um, to kind of increase meeting tenancy and also you know create an agenda and figure out what we're going to do and all that jazz. So from our meetings we um, all collaborated on 
putting together what our what our plan of action was and specifically what our demands were for management to rectify this pretty egregious situation we find ourselves in. Um, and so working with lawyers, uh, we drafted a letter to management on behalf of the union um, and gave residents um, opportunities to sign that letter. Um, we've invited people to meetings. We've done canvassing campaigns, you know, uh, cold calling. Well, people who have signed up for, you know, getting getting information via text or calls. We've called everybody um, really just trying to make sure that everybody is is feeling heard and supported and has the opportunity to sign the letter and and be a part of, of those demands. Um, and then delivered those demands to management uh, two weeks ago. Um, and then had a press conference, announced kind of, I guess, to the world that we were doing what we're doing. Um, and from there, uh, management has responded by not responding. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we they stonewalled you so far. Pretty well, much. Yes, but uh, but they've also responded in some kind of funny yeah, ways. They stuff's getting fixed. Stuff the the apartment complex. As soon as you know, news cameras became involved the the place started looking a little bit nicer <laughs> funny um, that, yeah funny how that works exactly a lot um, of maintenance requests just call press just conference. call the press <laughs> and things will get fixed um so we've had we've had a lot of maintenance activity on on the campus if you will um cleaning things up trying to make things look more appropriate um and then we have heard from management everybody has heard from management individually that they would like to work with tenants on an individual basis to resolve any concerns that they may have. So um, tenants have been responding with, well, these are my individual concerns, and it's a copy of the union letter, which those are everyone's concerns. It's individual and it's collective at this point. It's really hard to break it down. Yeah, do you think they're trying to find ways to sort of split a chunk of you off is that, is that absolutely yeah. for sure. absolutely and i would also like to add to kim's point in the letter that they said they said they would like to meet with us individually and that they cared about their community mm -hmm. i but, love this rhetoric of community what bullshit you know? i know oh, oh, oh and that the, yeah. together we together we can create a good community yeah. is what they said yeah. we, we're we're committed to working individually not as a union mm -hmm. so that together we can create together but not two together yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what the unionizing is for? Yes. Yeah. 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 It's like it's like we're a team here or something. Yeah. I didn't mean that together. Union. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. And they yeah. they conveniently only care about fixing concerns now that a lot of people are together and saying <laughs> the same concern over and over. So. Yeah. Turns out there's power in you. I'm yeah. gonna add to that. I had a maintenance request in since the day I moved in 18 months ago, and a couple days ago they showed up at my apartment. You know, they gave me my 24, and they fixed a bunch of stuff in my bathroom. <laughs> it was a little inconvenient because I came home sick, and I'm like, God, I wish I could shower. But they did tell me in advance, and my bathroom looks great now. I'm like, that's all it took was calling yeah. the press. Insane. <laughs> All we need to organizing. do is for, form a union and, and call the press and have yeah. a rally. And, yeah. You know, the collective action gets the goods yeah, exactly. in, 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 in a somewhat roundabout fashion, but there we go. So, so they have, I, I just I just want to say that they have been, you know, they, uh, they're they not meeting our demands, right? I mean, apart from, from starting to address some of the maintenance issues, but um, they are definitely rattled by what's happening. Mm. And... Um, and I would, you know, what I think is an interesting layer here is that um, 
So they're a nine billion dollar corporation that's on their website that they are worth nine billion dollars. What's um, the name of the company that owns it? The Prime Group, and they Prime. own it and manage it. So there isn't like a separate property management company or something. That okay. Everybody who works there works for Prime, um, and they uh, they have two other large buildings in the Portland area, but they're based in LA, and I think most of their um, multifamily complexes are California and, and sort of. I don't know, closer to there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they boast on their website that they have $9 billion in assets. And um, and w- what I have noticed there is, uh, as, so, so one other piece of information is that they lost a $20 million punitive lawsuit in the spring because somebody fell through a rotted out walkway. I heard about that. Yeah. And so when, when I first came down to Wimbledon, I expected to see them acting like they were on their best behavior and just like tripping over themselves to try to, you know, I would have assumed say apologize for the email data breach. And, you know, and, and I figured, well, they're, you know, they're shutting off the water all the time because they're trying really hard to fix it. And I just expected them to be you know, reacting on their best behavior because of this $20 million, which is an appeal because they think it's too high. So you would think while they're appealing it, they're going to be on their best behavior, right? Um, the level of disregard there and non-compliance with um, landlord-tenant law, including just some real basic easy things, like they're not even sending 90-day notices on rent increases. Um, is that legal? No. No. Um, okay, just checking. And, you know, and then they do stonewall people who try to, you know, to to whether it's asking for maintenance or you know this this fine is illegal or this rent increase notice is illegal or where's my security deposit i've i've talked to countless tenants who just are you know they're they just never get an email back ever i mean they just and they're like okay go ahead and sue us but we're worth nine billion dollars and you know people just get worn out and move out and give up and they don't you know they don't have to um they're above the law. They're worth so much. They're above the law, mm-hmm. and so I I find it um, I find it great that we have definitely um, provoked them. You know, they're definitely reacting. They're definitely freaked out. They responded to the press conference, um, and and are starting to do repairs. But I think there's an interesting question of why have they been able to get away with not doing Tabby's bathroom repair for 18 months? You know, and and coming in now, and uh, you know. And get away with so just so 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 many of the issues that we've heard about there, and um, and it's you know because they they have so much wealth that they don't it, it's just irrelevant to them to uh, you know to try to poke them with lawsuits or claims or whatever, and they just don't even bother responding to the emails. They're like, if you really care about this, you'll sue us someday eventually, and then we'll give you the hundred and fifty dollars that the law says we owe you. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I forget the specifics of the. Are we asking for a month or a month and a half? Two, two, two for the water, two for the okay. walkways, thank you, and water bills. I do want to go that and that. Here I am. I think the water bills are good, but then, but then I think the. Um, I mean, I guess you know. So think about this: like, if lawyers came in and sued, and you all got the money back that you wanted, would the union be done? Like, would you know? Oh what, hell no! Right. No, so, no. what's the like long-term vision of organizing a tenants union there that doesn't always have to be in confrontation with mm-hmm. the management? I mean, it will be when they are dicks, right? Like. Mm-hmm. But what other purposes does it serve? And and there's community building, but there's also like just being that presence means that. You know, you'll you will be that representative for tenants. You guys didn't feel heard. You felt disrespected. How does the union change that? That's what I'm sort of trying to 
helps get at the point of being able to advocate for the neighbors that might necessarily be able to advocate for themselves. Yeah. Being building stewards and making sure that when everyone in the building has a complaint that it is heard and not by, you know, six individuals. It's by the masses. I... I really enjoyed Alex's idea of one day, not too far off from now, the union being so integrated into the community that people get a little leaflet when they move in, letting them know that we exist. Totally. Yes, totally. On how we get there, I'm not sure, but that to me, it sounds like community. Just knowing what you have at your disposal and the advocates you have, I feel like is a far step from where we are, but a really worthy one to work towards. Absolutely. Right. I have a, can I ask one more question? Uh, Because I think this is good uh, for people that are, you know, care about this sort of thing, but are afraid that, you know, I'm assuming you never canvassed before, right? Like, and maybe you didn't either. I definitely did not canvass. <laughs> so I just think it's valuable for people to hear because I did canvassing for the first time this year too, and it was like not even a tenth as bad as I thought it was going to be. Right. Uh, so maybe talk about your experience with canvassing. Were you afraid to do it? Or like, like what? Like, I think that's inspiring for people to hear. Like, you know what I mean? I mean when it was first brought up that we were going to do a canvassing campaign. I think my heart sank and my, I just, I became just the most anxious human being on the face of the planet. Um, knocking on some stranger's door was not a comfortable concept for me. Um, having a stranger knock on my door was a not, not a comfortable concept for me. Um, and then just getting out there knowing that there were a lot of people out there probably suffering in silence with without water and, you know, not without being able to leave or enter their apartments, you know, it just pushing through um, and meeting some really wonderful people. Um, it was eye opening for me. Uh, I coming from a place of this is not a comfortable thing. I would absolutely canvas again. <laughs> um, not trying to sell it, just simply I ended up meeting some really wonderful people and got some a lot more information just firsthand from from my neighbors that yeah. you know I didn't know before and so I've seen several of them at our events and it's been wonderful and it's been <clears throat> great to help build the, the community thing. that we've been hoping yeah, for. Yeah, and that's real community. Like Absolutely. that's that's real community. And I think that's what I get from the DSA is I I'm part of the mobilizer team which I go talk to new members and stuff. And it's the same thing and I see them at the general meeting or I see them somewhere else and I'm like these are like I'm part of this society now and we're trying mm-hmm. to build this new culture and you mm-hmm. all are doing the same thing. It's, I just, I get very inspired by this. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, my story, I, I was fueled by unadulterated rage. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> absolute rage. Um, my lovely peers here, they did uh, the first canvas and I wasn't available to help, but I heard that and there's maintenance or there's video to go with it but that maintenance took down our flyers the first time we put them up because we knocked on the doors and gave flyers if people answered but then we put them on the doors for anybody who wasn't absolutely um and then i attempted to canvas again during the day in a portion of the building i thought would be safe from prying eyes and those got ripped down 
And I decided to get a hold of one of my friends, and we canvassed at one in the morning. <laughs> wow. um, most Lit of dropped. the buildings, not knocked. Yeah. yeah, no, no, we did not. We did not do knocking. But like, I didn't want to do it. I have a bad hip. I hurt for three days after. But I was, I was fueled by the rage created by Wimbledon's absolute lack of humanity and um, trying to get us to be quiet. Yeah. Sometimes I, that's all it, that it'll take. I want to. Can I share a little canvassing story about Wimbledon? That is just one of my favorite stories. So the first, the, the first big canvas we did, building wide, um, and again, six hundred units. So that's a long canvas. Um, we wanted to pair up like PTU people with a tenant, if possible, um, because it's always good to knock on the doors with somebody's neighbor, right? And then they can be like, "Hey, I'm your neighbor." And then it's not as um, worrisome for folks. So I went with Floyd, um, who's been around from the very beginning. And he's an older guy, I don't know, probably in his 60s, maybe. And um, also somebody who, if you meet, you can kind of guess that it's never been politically active or whatever. And um, and he was very quiet at all the doors. And I, that, you know, I have a big voice and personality, so it's probably partly my fault. But he'd be like, you, you do the talking. I'll take the notes. Um, and just seemed nervous. And, and as somebody who is, is an organizer, I was kind of like, you know, is this, I'm always asking, like, is this somebody who is going to be good at canvassing, you know, later? Or do they prefer to do the other parts? Because it is, you know, knocking on doors is not for everybody. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a social skill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and-, and I know some pretty accomplished organizers who still uh, do not want a phone bank and do not want to canvas because it just triggers their anxiety at high levels or whatever, you know. And it's better to have people who like to do it and know what they're doing do it anyway. Anyway, anyway, Floyd, um, what has been, you know, he is now talking to all of his neighbors every day. Every, you know, he just he sees people outside and is like, hey, are you part of the union? Are you coming to the rally? Do you want a flyer? Have you signed the petition? And um, I and he, you know, he's always texting me, you know, how do I get the petition? Or I found another lady or she's going to call. And, and I'm just like, it's so great because, you know, that he has not ever done this before. And he's, you know, he's he's an older guy, very working class who is just probably you know, always kind of kept his head down and, and, and he's totally radicalized and is like, you know, he's like, I'm not going to meet individually. I'm sticking with the union. And I just, that, I mean, seeing all of them be radicalized and, um, and starting to enjoy this work and feel the power of it is, you know, yeah, 90% of the reason I do it. Very rewarding. But I, there's just something special about Floyd, you know, just going, going out and doing it every day, whether we're doing it or not. <laughs> That's what you want, right? Someone to take the baton and run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the best. Now, do we want to zoom out a bit, Jeremy? Yeah, can can we talk more? Let's let us uh, rack zoom out a bit. To, to talk more about Portland housing in particular and just what housing crisis in general in North America and like most Western cities? The rent is too high. Right. Too damn high too is, damn uh, high. is yeah. uh, one is a famous yeah. slogan once went. I mean, when we talk about when housing, it's it, there's there's a whole ecosystem to housing, right? Uh, in terms of um, what kind of housing we build, where we build it, who's building it. Uh, what rents are charged, you know, or or what the sale prices are, what the land is worth, um, who lives where, um, and, and 
there's so many systematic um you know institutions or issues kind of buried into all of that so when we talk about the housing crisis and like what is it and how do we fix it you really have to like pick part of the ecosystem and um and so ptu focuses on tenants rights the the part of the housing crisis that says okay you know you're not you don't own the the land that you live on um you may own the structure that you live in if you are like a mobile home park renter or something like that um and that creates uh you know a power differential between you and whoever you pay the rent to and part of that power differential um in most of the united states is that they can charge however much rent you they want um regardless of your ability to pay and if you don't have a home then you can't get into that home if you can't afford the rent if it is your home then you um, have to leave it if you can't afford the rent. Um, and then and then outside of, so that that is kind of the biggest economic, you know, component, right, um, is is just the rent, what we actually pay um, to, to, to call a place home. And, and it's not just, it's not just about renting. I mean, I think, you know, there's huge challenges with um, homeownership too, especially for folks from uh, lower income levels, uh, the the main difference there is that those you know the rent the mortgage you pay is is fixed and it you know under most circumstances um but then you know this power differential of i own the land and you're just you know paying me to house sit my investment um comes with a whole bunch of other stuff like you know who who is in charge of taking care of maintenance and how quickly do they have to do it and and you know what is owed to the tenants whose livability has been compromised and then what happens if you don't pay rent on time you know who's deciding what is on time and and you know there are all these fees and and fines and and you know together in 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 summary it causes you know the 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 idea of home which should be something that is stable for people um i mean i really see it as being on the bottom level of maslow's hierarchy of of needs um you know if you don't if you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight or that's or it's an unstable place because you're sleeping on somebody's couch and you know that you've overstayed your welcome you know um that makes everything worse yeah or your housing makes you sick because you walk in and there's mold and there's water dripping from the ceiling and the heater doesn't work and you are afraid you're afraid to call your landlord you're afraid to assert your rights um, you're afraid to, I mean, you don't even feel like you deserve more, you know, and that's something that I think we see a lot at Wimbledon is there's so much of the population there are read students. And, um, and I, I know for me when I was, you know, 20, 21, 22, whatever, um, that, uh, the common narrative, you know, for people my age living in rentals was, yeah, you just got to pay your dues, you know, you're young, like this is just it's like the same thing when you're a teenager and you have crappy jobs but then you know later you'll people will start treating you differently and you'll make more money and blah 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 yeah you'll grad you'll eventually graduate into the professional class and then everything it'll all be worth it yeah yeah the next yeah the next next round of people will have to suffer and you know it's but it's only fair so there's just this like idea that like you know it's like okay i mean and i the you start talking to landlords and or or like really digging into the policies and the, the lack of enforcement um, for tenants and you know tools to mitigate conflicts and whatnot, and it, it's just so clear that we have like decided as a society that it's okay to treat like the renting class of people as like you know second class humans. You know they don't they don't 
need stability. They don't, you know, we, we freak out when a landlord's investment, you know, it may be compromised and they, oh no, their retirement. And I'm like, I, I have bills to pay, you know, like real time, you know, I'd love to worry about my retirement, but I'll never retire. Why are we prioritizing, you know, my landlord's retirement over like very basic financial stability of, you know, in Portland, 50% of the residents. And just, you know, it's just, there's this power dynamic in the landlord tenant paradigm, but it's, you know, to really, so that, that's what PTU focuses on is, is first just identifying that and, and recognizing that it's not, it's not natural. It wasn't, you know, God didn't divine that it has to be this right. way, right? Like, and on the seventh day, he created land for humans to own privately and charge others to to live on if they have less than man does. Uh, Margo, <laughs> I'd like to talk to you about something called the prosperity gospel, and it would say that you're wrong. Oh, dear. Just kidding. I don't yeah. know anything about the prosperity gospel. <laughs> I also don't know anything about the Bible, so <laughs> maybe it says those things. Oh, I, got a, I, got but, a, I got a book. Yeah, where's the, uh, I have a copy of Don't Know Much About the Bible right behind you there, so... <laughs> It's 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 full of uh, it's full of good stories. But at the at the end of the day, it comes down to land ownership and what does that mean and what is the land worth and why are why have we decided as a society in Portland, in Oregon, in the United States, globally, especially wherever clap- capitalism is, that um, you know that that people can hoard land and charge people you know as much as possible to to live on it and it just it doesn't make. Sense. Right. I, I think that the the characterization of the landlord as like the the prime parasite of mm-hmm. society I think is entirely fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say certain yeah, certain what do they do? Go ahead, Jeremy. I was gonna say, yeah, certain writers were writing like in the middle of the nineteenth century how strange it is that we have a set up um, a society we've built a society where uh a good proportion of people we force them to convert some of their you know some of their uh some of their uh their day their wages at their day job they have to work and take some of that mo- take some of their work convert it into money and then hand this money over to some other person just for the ability to have a place that they to can sleep to sleep in at poop. night and then you know <laughs> and then and then to and then to go back from that place back to you know back to the day job again and do it all over again and, and isn't it interesting that the one person you're giving the money and the one person you get the money from are guys that hang out at the same place or might be the same person in a lot of yeah isn't that interesting yeah uh yeah i mean we're it really makes like what is even the meaning of life (laughs) all i'm doing is working to pay for the place i live right or or yeah even that or the the instance i think the um I guess the uh, I remember the example that I remember hearing hearing about forever is think in terms of uh, pizza the pizza delivery person who is all they do is you know they work to fix their car but they uh, they fix their car so that they're able to work because if your car doesn't work you know it's kind of like driving delivering more pizzas so you can you know afford enough to fix your car but you know you're Mm -hmm. uh, you're fixing your car so you can deliver more pizzas yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um. 
one of the things that one of the things that I did want to did want to talk about is because I wanted to bring this into like Portland in particular is that because uh, this also gets into well first a connection I'll have to c- cut this back in but I wanted to connect it to something you said about how you know the uh, the quality of the place where you have to live the rental place connects up to what a previous guest Tim Faust has talked about when he we've had him on here and he talked if you've ever and I'll cut in a little bit of his audio. If your people are suffering because they don't have a place to live, or where they live is unsafe, there's water in the walls, there's mold in the ceiling, it's flammable, I'm thinking of the Grenfell Towers in the UK, or ghost ship back home in Oakland, then housing is healthcare. And you build free, safe housing to bring healthcare costs down. If people are suffering because they don't have access to healthy food to eat, because it's not profitable to sell a poor person vegetables, and so they're getting diabetes or comorbidities like cardiac failure, then food is healthcare. And you must provide people with free or affordable food options and the time, space, and materials with which to prepare them. That's how you bring healthcare costs down. If your people are suffering because they don't have access to needle exchange programs, therapy, or counseling, then rehabilitation is healthcare. And not our current myopic end-of-life palliative care focused version of rehabilitation, but the full social structures required to help people handle substance use or perhaps not fall prey to it in the first place. That's how you bring healthcare costs down. Because single payer is not the goal. Single payer is just a very good tool. Health justice is the goal. And when we fight for health justice, we all fight side by side because economic justice is health justice. Environmental justice is health justice. Reproductive justice for those who want to reproduce and those who don't, that's health justice. And justice for black lives, justice for brown lives, justice for trans lives, justice for lives of immigrants and the well-being of all people, regardless of age, gender, race, or creed, that is health justice. And, and it's not it's not just I mean, yeah, absolutely what you said. Um, I mean, our housing makes us sick, uh, especially when we um, don't have any you know power or resources to you know assure that it doesn't, you know, with, with regards to mold and leaks and rodents and, and other um, other, you know, health impacting uh, parts of housing. But um, unstable housing, whether that's the rent being too high or no cause evictions or um, or just your landlord, you know, breathing down your neck constantly, um, which is something I've um, experienced with the small, you know, mom and pop landlord. Um, it causes uh, very, very, very real um, psychological stress. And there's actually there's 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 research on this and it's a growing body of research um, that shows, especially with no cause evictions and. Uh, the, the study that I'm most familiar with looks at the impact of that on um, pregnant women. Um, it just It's not necessarily no cause evictions, any eviction, right? You are forced out of your housing for uh, through no fault or, well, at least through no choice of your own. Um, you know, maybe there's fault in non-payment of rent, but they're not paying the rent because the rent's too high. Um, yeah, I mean, faults. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, so oh, oh, whatever. You're, you're forced out of your home and you can't do anything about it, right? You're powerless to do anything about it. Um, and we, we actually know from Matthew Desmond's research, he's the one who wrote um, Evicted, which made the rounds uh, the last couple of years, that um, eviction is not a consequence of poverty, but is a cause of poverty. Because every time you're forced out of your home, you, you, know, you have less bargaining power and you're in a state of crisis. And so you move into worse housing and, and then you know, the cycle starts again. 
But the psychological stress on um, pregnant women um, actually transfers to their um, infants. And um, the effects of that can be seen for up to two years after displacement, both in the mother and in the child. I mean, can actually be, you know, very well observed. And then longitudinal studies show that, you know, those children struggle in school for the rest of their lives. Um, or not necessarily, I mean, not necessarily for the rest of their lives. There are, there are interventions, but, um, but it has long-term psychological impacts that translate to very real health impacts um, for you know everybody in the displacement crisis, but um, well-studied pregnant women and, and their uh, infants yeah. and children. And so I think we need to not discount the, um, the very real stress of housing instability and, um, and what, you know, how that affects one's person in ways that prevent them from, uh, you know, either directly or indirectly from taking care of their own health or being healthy. And so I, I see housing as being a health justice issue, a racial justice issue, an economic justice issue. Um, it has huge impacts on um, educational outcomes for children. Um, it's a gender, uh, it's a super gender issue. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, that's why I say it's at like the bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like everything that we are trying to solve as a society, as you know, socialists or political activists or whatever. Um, I think uh, I, I, I firmly believe that um, you know, really reconciling uh, land and, and housing is a necessary first step. Everything else is like a symptom of it, not purely a symptom, but. Great. And on that note, we'll, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, that's the benefit of podcasts is that most other media outlets do not talk about this thing. Mm-hmm. And most culture is not we're 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 we talk about, you know, all media is now celebrity media. Uh-huh. So mo- oh so p- you talk about you can you can only talk. It's like and you'll and this is going to happen again with the fucking with the next campaign presidential campaign. They can media can only talk about people. They cannot talk about movements because most reporters don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a big thing too when we like when all of this was happening and we started talking. We just didn't know where to go. There's no there's no one theoretically there to direct people to for help and so right we turned yeah. to ptu who knew who have done this before you know? right the, the, just but ptu is a no... relatively new organization yeah. so it's like keep blazing the trail if, while we're walking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so but if it didn't exist two years ago you try to do this where do you go where then? do you go yeah i, yeah. I don't think we would have i think we, we would have had a lot of great vent sessions yeah. and that would have been it and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that yeah, that's the other thing of like the um, again the the massive like a, a constant theme of the show is the mass like depoliticization and just like how yes. like mm-hmm. since like the late since actually I'm gonna use the hammer I was gonna say but it's something about like since how the seventies political we don't do political stuff anymore and the, the, you lose the you lose the memory because everybody you know yeah. everybody's grandparents well we didn't know how to yeah you know what I mean like and we, we and we've been pretty systematically taught now that like it doesn't it doesn't work there's no point yeah. taught or made to feel like you know so yes. you guys would have met and just been like i feel like what we brought mostly to the conversation is you guys aren't crazy this is totally fucked up mm-hmm. you should do something about it mm-hmm. let's keep meeting and talking until we figure out what that is yeah. you know and it's just believing that you know that you're not crazy for thinking it's fucked up and believing exactly. that it is something that could be is fixable yeah. it might take yeah. a lot of work 
but we can yeah <laughs> we can do it exactly you know? i think yeah. that was like the big thing too because you go to the people like you're the people that you pay who are supposed to make sure that your place is you. yeah yes. and you, you're getting yelled at you are getting like told that that is not a concern that is not a valid concern and they're yeah. getting yelled at by somebody else you know what i yeah. mean like that's the fucked yeah. up thing is is they're p- probably paying rent somewhere too either to- where you live totally. or somewhere mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. and they're getting yelled at by someone that has more money than them exactly. that makes two hundred thousand dollars a year and that person's getting yelled at by someone that owns nine billion dollars in assets exactly. you know what i mean mm-hmm. like like yeah and so all those people down the line right down to y'all are victims of the same thing and it's perpetuated because the $200,000 person, they get a little bit I mean I, I mean it, it's dehumanized as it yes. goes up the food chain. Exactly. Yeah. You know? I mean they're just they're like tenant to them is just like it's not a human with a family, with a story, with a life. It's just like a you know sort of a number. It's a, a resource to it's draw a resource. Yeah. Yeah, to draw exactly. money from. Yeah, they probably call us resources. I don't know, you know. I mean I like it's oh, been I'm sure they have some ins- insulting some sort of term like yeah, that, yeah. That, that, yeah. that we don't even think of. Yeah. Because it's become this sort of matter of. Uh, sorry, Jared. Oh, no I'm problems. covering up your notes. Uh, we've. I don't know how to put it. It's the way that. A way that language has been infected by this sort of professionalization. We've talked yeah. about it, like, started sort of with military speak, and then, mm-hmm. and then business speak is very much mm-hmm. like that. And it's. A way of depersonalizing, absolutely. Um, you know, real sort of bread and butter things. Yeah. You know, and so now we're, you know, we, it's not my phone. <laughs> mine's in my lap now, so I hope that that my phone's lower down. Right uh, I'm gonna put mine outside. No. <laughs> When we like sat down at the first meeting um, of PTU, uh, you know, I know my my vision was uh, a citywide tenants union. You know, maybe built of these, you know, affiliates at complexes or whatever, where um, you know we use our collective power to stop paying the rent. Um, and, and not necessarily through all the legal channels like we, you know, uh, just imagine where you have, um, I mean, there's 600,000 people in Portland and about 50% of renters or 300,000, but then they're, um, you know, divide by family size or whatever. We have about 120,000 rental units or renting households in the city of Portland. And imagine if even like 5,000 of them. Just one month, we're like, we're not paying the rent anymore because uh, this is fucked and we're protesting. And, um, you know, we would absolutely be uh, risking eviction, but they can't They just, you know, eviction in the state of Oregon is the fastest civil legal procedure behind getting a restraining order. It's a, it's a, it is in state law an expedited process. Um, so whenever you hear the landlords talk about how like, oh, it takes so long to evict somebody, thousands, thousands, like, no, no, no. If you are doing everything, you know, correctly as a landlord, you can have somebody out in 32 days by the sheriff from the first, you know, from the first notice. There are some, I mean, land tenants have some recourse and options, but they usually need lawyers to understand what those are. Um, but it's still an expedited process, no matter what. So even if you go to trial, even if you really try to fight it as a tenant, 
um, you, you can win. If you win, it's because the landlord didn't, you know, wasn't lawfully evicting you, right? But if um, if, the, if the landlord has all their facts right, uh, going to trial is still, you know, two weeks or two to three weeks after your first um, eviction notice. So anyway, I'm sorry, I was getting into the weeds there. The point is, is that they can't evict 5,000 people in one month, right? Like, we, we jam the system. Right. Um, and we would, you know, and... and that's kind of the cr- a crude way of describing it. Um, you know, maybe we do it in a little bit more coordinated way. We would target certain property management companies or whatever to just kind of drain them of their resources. Um, but at the end of the day, our our power, um, the you know the main power we can leverage is our uh, the rent we pay, right? Like that, we are useless and nobody to the landlords if we're not paying our rent every month. And so, um, you know, the the original idea was to come together and, and form a union in much the same way that labor has formed unions and where labor can withhold the labor and stop business as usual. We can withhold the rent and stop business as usual. And so that is kind of the big goal in order to, um, you know, to really adjust the, the power differential, adjust and daylight it is to develop a citywide union where we all decide, you know, by by vote and when it's time and for the right reasons and with the right demands to withhold our rent and uh, and, and force the, the changes that would come from that. Um, we're not there yet. This is, you know, this is a small piece of the puzzle, although with 600 units, it's a big piece of the puzzle. But I think that that, I think you know, the underlying theories of, of how the labor union functioned, especially um, you know, in its first hundred years or something, my labor history is is shoddy, but you know, massive changes came down the the pipe, in, you know, because of that. And I see us being able to do the same thing, whether they're like reforms or transitional demands, or whether we can succeed in, you know, um, seizing private property. I mean, that's like, that. like, I love that. I just don't, I don't know how radical it is to like say it out loud yet in terms of people being like, oh, she's nuts. Never mind. We can't well, listen to anything. Well, there are going to be says. people that say that's nuts, but, <laughs> yeah, but. See, this also, yeah, this, this is a podcast. So they can go just, pound sand. Yeah. That is the, um, and now, now we have callers on the line. No. <laughs> I'm, so does that like discredit me as somebody who is just like not in reality when Tuscaloosa, I say that? Tuscaloosa, you're on the I phone. I can't tell, you know? Yeah. <laughs> St. Augustine, you go. Yeah, I'm being Larry King now. I'm taking calls. Yeah, Larry King is still alive. How is that possible? <laughs> Weird little like goblin who's been you know, <laughs> smaller and smaller. He's going to recede into his his just. He's just going to be a pair of. He's just going to be his, his glasses and a pair of suspenders, <laughs> like in a coffin. That's all they'll have to bear him because eventually he'll just shrink into yeah, that. He'll just he'll sort of just turn into ashes like a. Like a vampire or something, right? Disappear. Uh, like, we always end up talking about Larry King. I'm yeah, sorry. Disappear. He'll disappear into the force. Um, Such well, a comforting would, voice from my youth, though. Would it, well, Truth or consequences, New Mexico. If it, I mean, yeah, this could this could definitely be its own show. But uh, would it be at least worthwhile to give people a couple little like little bits? Because I think. Uh, of like like at least for like just like you know five or ten minutes of like suggestions of like okay how do you start where where can you you know there's because there's stuff online where there's there's i mean there's endless people out there talk to your neighbors in, in, yeah i in, mean the best way to do it on a you know if you're not trying to do the citywide thing uh, and that's fine you know you can do the citywide thing too but i recommend starting at if you're in an apartment complex you know just talking to your neighbors and it can be an informal like Let's just meet once a week or once a month and just talk about what's going on. It doesn't even have to be like 
an agitational, you know, let's force a landlord to do something. But, you know, develop that community and at least realize that you're not alone um, and that this isn't normal, you know, um, because it's so it can feel so, so isolating. And especially the older you get. One of the stories I like to tell is that, um, you know, uh, I was getting a professional photos done at my workplace a couple years ago so I was in my like business suit and looking all professional and I'm you know married and I have a master's degree and I have kids and I have a lot of other you know um, markers that uh, that signal to people that I should be you know um, living in a nice you know home with granite countertops and blah 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 capital R two, two sinks and, yeah uh, exactly capital R respectable reason, like two, two fucking sinks in your bathroom and I mentioned something about you know rent or landlord to the photographer because he, he he knew a friend of mine so we were like kind of you know and he goes he goes you're a renter what happened and <laughs> I was like, what do you mean what happened? <laughs> like, that's not that there are lots more people like me, actually. You know, and I've seen on, on parenting groups somebody said, you know, I just don't think that children should have to live in apartments. <laughs> I was like, you need to leave the city once in your <laughs> life before you die. You know? <laughs> and so there's this this perception and, and we internalize it. I know for a fact, um, you know, that I have been like, I have fucked up. That's why you know, that's why I don't own a home yet. Yeah. Um, you know, I have failed at adulting or whatever. Or, Imposter you know, and, and, and thus I, you know, it's my own fault that my landlord is treating me like crap. And I hear that all the time from people. All the time. That just kind of internalized guilt plus, you know, fear and uncertainty of doing anything because of retaliation. So you need to get together with your neighbors. And you just need to start talking. You need to learn what your rights are. And you need to ask some questions about whether or not those rights are... Um, adequate or should they be expanded? You know, there's a big difference between legal and right, you know, and also a big difference between illegal and wrong. And um, and then, you know, you start talking, well, what are we going to do about it? And you and you have to recognize that um, there is strength in numbers, that if any one of you goes um, and, you know, starts shit with your landlord, that, yeah, you absolutely may be retaliated against. And, and it will be hard to protect yourself from that. It's a lot harder to do it with all your neighbors behind you. And of course, you know, for folks listening, you know, outside of Portland or whatever, there may not be a tenants union like PTU to kind of help answer your questions. There are definitely a lawyers, most places that can at least help you understand your rights. And it's actually not that hard to call one of them and say, hey, can you come to our complex and just tell us what our rights are just kind of give us some help. And then there's their labor unions, you call the labor union, can you just send an organizer down to like, help us understand how solidarity works, <laughs> you know? And I mean, this is how PTU started. We just started talking to everybody and just like, tell us what we need to know. And it was a mishmash of information, some more useful than not. But meet with your neighbors, develop community, and start getting bigger people in the community to help you formulate and activate a plan. And then right. go from there. See, so Kim and Travis, like, what, you know, do you have anything to add? Like, what really worked for you or what really... What I would say, well, like help things click internally, or you found it, you found to be the um, if you found anything that particularly uh, like a point you would bring up or like a tactic or just something you could that you would bring in that you could see the reaction in the other person of whoever we're talking to that automatic it's like the you know a uh, the door opened and or the you know the window was cleared and they were able to see something this, the potential of a lot more and all of a sudden they were on board. Yeah, uh, if like I think one of the biggest problems is people don't realize they have power. Yes, and 
how do you get people to see that they have power? Is that kind of what you're asking? I want to say, um, I feel like I woke up myself. I honestly can't think of one particular person right now who I have that experience with. And I'm sorry about that. No, it's fine. No problem. um, Before this all started, I thought reaching out to people like Margo with PTU was far-fetched. I thought reaching out wouldn't yield anything because that's what I'm used to from going to a large university and from living in a large housing complex as I'm used to being treated like a number, you know? Um, so just this experience alone and hopefully other people who see what we're doing as a union can feel that way too. But just reaching up and saying, I am a person and I am here to speak for myself and to stand up for my neighbors, even if I feel like I'm speaking alone matters. Like if you have something to say, say it because of the absolute worst that's going to happen is nothing and the best thing that can happen is making connections and networking and growing um and i i hope that answers your question well enough very much so yes thank you i think for me it's there has been a core and that core group of people in the union has has changed and it's evolved and changed again and evolved some more and um i think though that just having some people that are constantly constantly going and finding strength um to to just keep going because it it can be it feels like a battle a lot of the time it feels like a very hard fought battle it's tiring it is it's exhausting and it is scary and there's a lot of psychological bullshit that comes along with it and i think um for me a lot of the people that i've been able to talk to through canvassing efforts and, and phone calls and whatnot um it's just a lot of people have said like thank you so much for for doing it and you know having just a presence on in in Wimbledon alone of people that do care and do want to hear from them of what's going on and kind of specifically what's going wrong Mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily have to just let that be wrong let's find a way to make it right um so basically just being there for people um knocking on their doors allowing them to tell their con- their stories um air their grievances and be with them through that um that's kind of been like the biggest yeah like I- empowering op- opportunities that i found in just kind of building community you're going through the shit together and that that really yeah. does a lot for m- helping other people feel brave enough to keep fighting and and join join the fight right it's hard to feel power and know that you have it when you feel like you're the only one right absolutely Mm -hmm. and just to add to your point a little kim um i remember being absolutely scared to start talking to residents i coming from a customer service background mind you i thought i would receive a lot of backlash when i talked to people i thought people may not have the same experience as me they might shoo me off and for every 10 experiences I've had that have been good I've maybe had one bad one so people they want to hear what you're doing they want the resources you know in this instance at Wimbledon and and they want the community people want it and we just there's so few of us that know how to navigate it even where we are now with the union we're still struggling on how to navigate sometimes so it's, the system that we're living in currently in Portland, Oregon, is not designed to help renters and young folks trying to live feel like they have camaraderie and solidarity um, among themselves. And more importantly, they're they're not able to reach out 
comfortably to their landlords because of the intimidation factor and it's real like I'm a very solid belligerent loud person and I still feel uncomfortable sometimes trying to advocate for myself like it, it's yeah. intimidating oh, sometimes yeah. mm-hmm. totally well when you feel like you're by yourself like what is it you know what I mean like like it's just you screaming into the void a lot of times or well and I think well, that's yeah. where you Sorry, no, you go ahead, Kim. Well, I guess the way, if I look at it for as just, you know, Kim Carpentier versus Prime Group, it's like, <laughs> Prime Group, net worth, $9 billion. Kim Carpentier, net worth, not $9 billion. <laughs> right. um, Not even close to being that. Um, <laughs> nine might be a number, but it might only have one zero after it. You know, net worth, $90. Here we are. Um, it's Solidarity. It's a, an extremely uphill battle when you think about it that way. Like, they have the money for a whole legal team. And, you know, I'd be lucky to afford one lawyer that would be able to say that is illegal or that is, right. that is not illegal. Um, so when I approach it as just me and for just my my concerns that's a battle that I will never win. But when it's everyone who's affected by it and everyone has the same concern, why do we all have the same concern and nothing's happening? That it empowers me more to to keep up that fight, even though it is still a very imbalanced, uh, imbalanced playing field. All right. And I think we're running really, really low on time. Do we want to just transition to just like how, um, how you know, give like, uh, contact info for anybody uh, wrapping things up and like if you, if you have any questions or anything do you want to like give info for that or well you can um, contact PTU uh, through info at pdxtu.org or you can visit our Facebook page and message us that way Portland Tenants United we have a Facebook page as well. It's called Wimby Tenants Union. That's spelled W-I-M-B-Y-T-U. Or I'm sorry. That's our email address. Our email address is W-I-M-B-Y-T-U at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is Wimby Tenants Union. Our Instagram is under the same handle name. And you can drop us a voicemail in our inbox by calling 501 501- Nine seven four four zero one one. No one will answer the phone, but if you leave a voicemail, someone will be able to get back to you, and you can text that number as well. Uh, what was that number one more time? The phone number is five zero three nine seven four four zero one one. Well, thank you. Oh, and you said five zero one the first time. Is it five zero three? It is a five zero three area okay. code. Okay, Portland area code. And then how can they? Um, what number can they text to get on our email list? Four 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 nine nine nine, and text Wimby to that number W I M B Y four 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 nine nine nine, and you'll get um, a couple texts back that'll allow us to keep you updated on what's going on there. Awesome. Anything else we really need? You think we need to cover or? No, I mean this is uh, this is a, a really interesting topic. I think we could have definitely talked more about it. I'd like to meet this Floyd character personally. Oh, he's the best. He is wonderful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We should we should do a, a, a an on location totally. with, with Floyd. Yeah, uh, I think most of the yeah. skier most of the skier is portable, so um, <laughs> and, like and ported it to the kitchen from the uh, from the uh, our usual like other office bedrooms. So, but yeah. in any case, uh, and Floyd could travel. I mean, he could come here too, but it'd be fun to. 
do an on-site you podcast. Could, you could see it all. Yeah. yeah, they could see a media presence. They get yeah. scared. Yeah, do like, do like yeah, something do, else will get fixed. The might, the might of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, do, do like some bullshit, like NPR, like location production of like yeah. I'm walking into the scene and I'm seeing and I'm seeing looking over and I'm seeing a bush. What does that bush actually mean? If that's facing the entrance of this apartment <laughs> yeah. complex, I'm what, at Rose's Cafe in Hatch, New Mexico, oh. eating some of their. Chilequiles. Yeah. <laughs> slow fade in the you background. Do such a, you do, do that so well. Yeah, slow slow fade in slow fade in of um dishes uh, clinking. Yeah, of like you know, of ambient sound. All right. Uh Foley work. I know we're very excited about it. Uh, but um yeah, I mean I, I think that like touching base is basically what I would say. Like like touching base, talking to Floyd, uh getting I think the more I hear you talk about it, Margo, the more I'm like yeah, like housing as the new form of organizing. Yes. Side of struggle. Yeah. I really, I'm working on a theory that renters are the new proletariat. I think you've got something real solid there. I do. Uh, I'm, 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 I've, I've been making headroads with my very um, strict Marxist friends about this. Yeah, so. name names. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, <'cause, laughs> I think you know the names. I was going to say, especially, well, especially in a city where the developers... And then we didn't really talk about this. The developers are they're like the main chief source of power, at least one of the core bits of power behind, you know, over, you know, uh, city planning and like, you know, and who gets access to what and what the city council allows and just, oh, yeah, go ahead and hey, just, you know, here, have a free hand in developing a Southeast Division, however you like, go for it. Yeah. Um, oh, and uh, if, uh, if you have any, if you have... I'm trying to think of like if I have an it should give an uh, a, any sort of like call to action for folks trying to reach the show, but it, if you if you'd like to uh, email uh, c- questions, comments, and whatnot to other show here, you can reach us at givingthemike at gmail dot com. Uh, we're also on Twitter, giving the mic, even though no one ever checks the Twitter thing. Um, oh no, I take that back. We did get one message on Twitter because that that, that mentioned uh, mentioned us when the show got mentioned in an issue of the New Yorker. That's right. We're oh, now neat. we're now the New Yorker featured. Giving the mic to the wrong. That's person. a that's a big deal, dude. Yeah, so, yeah. we got yeah we got <laughs> we got we got offhandedly mentioned in an in I think it's like the November nineteenth or eighteenth issue of the New Yorker on an article about storytelling and uh, and podcast you know, how podcasting is the new storytelling yeah. and the the writer was talking about well, you know Walter uh, Benjamin which uh, Garrett brought in last year and so we we're kind of like offhandedly talking about it and then she mentioned the writer mentioned like four paragraphs in it's like hey, and if you know you can find out about this guy from plenty of things or you know one of the sources just go on this and find this podcast the left leaning which is you know it's like very <laughs> insulting yeah it's like oh come on you know we, we we try harder than that we are left dude <laughs> anyway, but uh yeah that's uh we i mean if you if you like if you really like the show and like to help uh and like to help us uh, help help us produce it. We even have our own Patreon because what's a podcast without a Patreon? At giving the Patreon dot com slash giving the mic. Even a dollar a month helps us with bandwidth costs mm. and, uh, and fuel costs to go interview Floyd. That's wow. true. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's kind of it, it covers. Yeah, it also helps provide. Well, it also helps cover my own uh, my own Patreon addiction. But also help you know <laughs> helps uh, it helps pay for uh, podcasting fluid for guests. Uh, any uh, wrapping up? Is there any last thing? Uh, any Final words from anyone in the assembled group. Um, shot him into the mics. I don't have anything. I'm sorry. Organize. Yes, organize. Solidarity. Word. There we go. Can't All do right. better than that. All right. Thank you, uh, folks. Good night. And thank you very much. And um, exactly, solidarity. Woo-woo. Good night. Good night.
Homo Vulgaris is the leading cyberpunk dystopia stoner internet occult late capitalist adjective known Russian Bob Disinfo podcast. The future is now and it sucks. The algorithm is horny but has no desire. We desire to be like it. We offer ourselves up to the invisible machinery of late capitalism, hoping to make it horny for our content, our data, our entire lives and humanity. It's terrible. It's kind of sexy. Listen to Homo Vulgaris. Embrace gay space third impact luxury anime t-shirt communism. Better living through death drive army. Homo Vulgaris. Available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else fine podcasts are found.